You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning Machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. This analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscan, I'm hosting today's program. Anarchism. Anarchos without rulers. That's what anarchy is about. It's about creating a society without rulers. What gives rulers the ability to determine the lives of hundreds of millions of people as we see around the world on a daily basis? It's inequalities in power and wealth. So what is the anarchist struggle? The anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, that's shared power, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and use it for the common good. All right, so that's all over and done with, so let's move on. Now, it's fascinating, isn't it, how things change. I remember a few years ago, we were all involved in the war, of the civilization war, you know, the Muslim fundamentalists regarding the rest of us. But then there was the war on drugs, which is still continuing. There's always a lot of wars around in human history. And now, courtesy of the US of A and Australia... We have the war between democracy and autocracy. You like that? The war between democracy and autocracy. We don't have the communists or socialists to rail about it anymore, but we now have the autocrats. So let's do a little bit of defining. What is democracy? What is autocracy? Is there a war between democracy or autocracy, or is it a different type of war because obviously those people who make decisions on our behalf on a continuous basis always need us to be slaughtered on their killing fields in order to maintain their authority so democracy demos democracy rule of the people by the people for the people So what do we have in the West? The so-called democratic states and South Korea and Japan and a few other places. What do we have? Do we have rule of the people, by the people, for the people? Because you see, the anarchist struggle is fundamentally a struggle about democracy. That's right. It's a struggle about overcoming inequalities in power and wealth. 
Because you need to understand that in a democratic society, it's not just about casting a ballot. It's about how resources, how wealth is created, how it's distributed, how it's shared. So we don't actually live in a society of rule of the people, by the people, for the people. We live in what is, de- what is described as a representative democracy. Every three to four years, we elect a representative to make decisions for us for the next three to four years. It's a sign blank check. It doesn't matter what we're promised at the end of the day. It's how that authority is exercised, which matters, because in between elections, unless there's a revolution, there's nothing you can do. You wait on the sidelines and to cast another ballot in three to four years. That's what representative democracy is about. It's not about devolving power in a direct democratic way where you're involved in the decision-making processes, not electing representatives, and it's not about sharing wealth. The great thing about representative democracy is it is that it has been hijacked by that small section of society that owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. It was all very well to see the Teal Independents win seats from Liberal Party Heartland. But each of those candidates needed a million dollars at least to conduct a campaign in one electorate of about 120,000 people. That's a million dollars. And obviously, when you look at the legislative agenda and you look at the way Mr Albanese and his cabinet is currently working, you begin to understand that what is possible in a representative democracy where wealth is concentrated in a small number of hands, that what the legislative agenda is all about is about maintaining the authority and power of those who have wealth. That's why in a country of 25 million people on a continent, we have over a million children living in poverty. That's why one-third of the population relies on social security benefits which are around the poverty line to survive. That's why only one-third of the population owns their home outright and the rest are either paying off a mortgage or are renting. That's why we have this huge gap between public education and private education. That's why all those people who have been involved in so-called natural disasters, and I say so-called because to a significant degree, through our privatisation, deregulation, corporatisation, globalisation agenda, result in increased greenhouse emissions, we are now affecting the climate and we are now part and parcel of the process which leads to natural disasters, with a little bit of help from us. That's why those people are basically left on their own. And that's why 
why, why during the COVID-19 pandemic, which is now raging, that people are left to their own devices. And I can go, I could talk about it for ages. So democracy, we don't have a democracy. And the people of Ukraine don't have a democracy. They have representatives. Now, look, the thing about an autocrat is they don't even bother or worry about the going through the motions of having a democracy as we do in the West. They basically exercise power through their control of the state apparatus. So this is not a huge power struggle between democratic nations which look after the interests of their people and autocratic nations which look after the interests of minority. What we're seeing to a significant degree is a tussle between gangster capitalism as we see in Putin's Russia and corporate capitalism as we see in the West. And for us as a nation to be sucked in, holus bolus, into the so-called democracy, autocracy struggle, the struggle of the early part of the 21st century, is ludicrous. Now, it's interesting to see the reaction of people around the world. I mean, the Indian subcontinent hasn't been drawn into this particular battle. The African subcontinent hasn't been drawn into this battle. The South American subcontinent hasn't been drawn into this battle. But we have been drawn into this battle. As if we're some bastion of democracy. Now, obviously, people like me don't exist in an autocratic state. And people like you most likely don't exist either. Because if you open up your mouth in an autocratic state, you find yourself in prison or dead. The difference in a representative democratic state like Australia is we are so marginalised and irrelevant that we can be tolerated. But if you look at what happened to blockade Australia in Sydney a few weeks ago or ten days ago, you can see how the state, through new legislation, is able to criminalise, marginalise protest activity. So if you think this is a battle between democracy and autocracy, it's no battle between democracy and autocracy. It's a battle between corporate capitalism, which is the dominant ideology in our society, in so-called all-democratic societies, and it's a battle between gangster capitalism, where you have small numbers of people exercising power through the manipulation of the state apparatus through the amount of resources and capital they've been able to acquire through very dubious means. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. And if you want to be drawn into this so-called debate about this new, new reason for war, you know, this big struggle between democracy and autocracy, 
let's create an anarchist society where we have real democracy, direct democracy, where resources are held in common, where resources are shared. Let's move on. It came to pass. It sounds almost biblical, doesn't it? It came to pass. Remember a few years, no, a few a few months ago, I outlined my position on the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. And it's interesting how things come to pass. Now, my my fullest, well, my f- strategical basis was this: the United States of America is feeling pressured. It's feeling pressured from a rising Russian autocracy and it's feeling pressure from the Chinese Communist Party, which obviously is its direct competitor in the Pacific. Now, the war that is occurring in Ukraine, the brutality, the deaths, the dislocation that is occurring in the Ukraine, in my opinion, should never have happened. There should have been a negotiated settlement. But what we saw is this push to not negotiate. And what we saw is the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. And my opinion was that this was United States strategy in order to bog down the Russian armed forces in an unwinnable long-term war in the Ukraine. The real enemy is China, and it was fascinating to see NATO last week. Now, NATO is supposedly a European concept, the North Atlantic Treaty Organisation to protect European countries, including Turkey, against invasion. It's a coalition. It's got nothing to do with anything else around the world. But what we saw at the NATO conference in Madrid, which Mr Albanese attended on behalf of the Australian people, what we saw was the expansion of the NATO agenda to include China. This is where this democracy, autocracy, this fake division between democracy and autocracy comes in. So what we are seeing is United States feeling for first time since World War II under significant pressures is now manipulating the situation in such a way has to create a situation which is quite dangerous, very dangerous, and especially dangerous for us as a nation. Interestingly, Indonesia has sat on the sidelines and most of the Southeast Asian countries has sat on the sidelines because they understand they need to have some accommodation with China's growing power. But we have hoisted our flag next to the NATO flag, next to the US flag, and what we've seen over the last three or four years was a a grossly increased presence of US troops, US equipment, US bases, 
US military alliances through AUKUS, the nuclear submarines, which make us vulnerable as a nation to invasion. If there is some type of conflict between the United States and China, which what seems to be in the offering unless people are willing to back off and negotiate. And what we need to remember is that if we are on the front line, if push comes to shove and the US needs to protect its homeland, that we will be the first people to be left out to dry. Let's not forget the lessons of Vietnam and recently in the last few months, the lessons of Afghanistan. When it came to protecting US interests, the people of Afghanistan were ultimately of no interest to the United States government. So let's not forget, these are, these are serious situations which affect us, our children, our, great ch- our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren. This is the situation we find ourselves in today. It is a very serious situation, and for us to be whipped up into a frenzy of nationalism and, you know, huge debate about democracy and autocracy when we actually don't live in a real democracy, but a representative democracy. And representative democracy is basically a one single cell in democratic revel- democratic evolution. Because democracy, rule of the people, by the people, for the people means equality. Not just equality of opportunity, but equality in terms of making decisions, not giving power to representatives to make those decisions, and equality in terms of having access to the Commonwealth. Let's move on. NADOC Week. Happy NADOC Week. Uh, Those of you who are access to uh, YouTube, go to Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. I uh, did uh, a lot of uh, work on NADOC Week on this program last week and uh, just highlighting what the National Aboriginal Day of Observance, National Aboriginal NADOC, N-A-I-D-O-C, is all about. National Aboriginal Knowledge Day of Observance Committee, which was established in 1975. It's interesting NADOC Week used to be a week of protest. It seems now to be more of a cultural festival. I mean, I'm not taking position one way or another. But it's interesting how Indigenous issues can be incorporated within our current capitalist framework. And the greatest danger, I think, uh, which uh, Indigenous activists face is the total incorporation of the Indigenous movement for uh, treaty and recognition and reconciliation within a capitalist framework which changes the common ownership of native title into some type of private ownership or a freehold title, changes native title into freehold title, which means that Indigenous populations and groups could actually lose their lands to the... uh, banking sector use their lands as collateral in order to borrow money for development. To me, that is the greatest danger facing Indigenous communities, this change in ideology which we've seen among the Australian population, 
during the globalization, privatization, deregulation, corporatization, uh, privatization revolution, which we've felt we've all become, you know, part of this system to a significant degree through our superannuation. And that's a huge issue as we see Indigenous groups negotiate with mining companies, we see pressure placed on Indigenous groups uh, and uh, sections of, of the Indigenous community pushing for a native title to become freehold title. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Handbrake on Development. Floods in New South Wales. Interesting, isn't it, the rhetoric? I feel for these people, in inverted commas. You know, I feel. I think what the floods in New South Wales highlight is the handbrake on development ideology and philosophy which for far too long has dominated every aspect of our living on this continent. It's about development for development's sake. And what we've seen is information and planning regulations being pushed aside and described as handbrake on development and we've seen the creation of communities on floodplains in order to make a quick buck and maybe before the climate emergency you could get away with it and have a one in 50 year flood but now it's become a constant issue for people, and it's usually the poorest sections of society because these are the cheaper developments who are now bearing the brunt. And if you think that as a community we have resolved this issue or even addressed this issue, we haven't. People are still waiting for assistance from the previous floods. And that people are still waiting for assistance from the 2019 fires in this region. So this handbrake on a development mentality, which affects all aspects and all parts of this country, needs to be pushed aside. Because ultimately, it's not about development it's about satisfying basic human needs. And any government that cannot satisfy basic human needs is abrogating its responsibility, even as a representative government. For far too long, it's been, been growth for growth's sake, development for development's sake, push aside the regulations which have been put in place. That's what deregulation is about, to protect people, whether it's protect people at work, whether it's protect people where they live. And now we are paying that dividend. And it is a very high 
price to pay for a significant or a growing section of the Australian community. Think about it. So next time you see pictures about floods and fires and inappropriate, think about inappropriate development. Think about the handbrake on development ideology which has been part and parcel of both Labor Party and Liberal National Party policy at the state and federal level, which continues to be, to a significant degree, the only economic policy they are willing to support. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Just in case you got a bit confused, NAIDOC Week is the National Aboriginal Islander Day of Observance Committee. And as I said last week, it was established in 1975 after the Department of Aboriginal Affairs had been um, created as a consequence of the 1967 refer, uh, referendum, which allowed the Commonwealth Government to pass legislation in order to, ass- to assist indig- the indigenous, indigenous population. So I said before, from a protest week to a week of cultural celebration. Nothing wrong with that. So I do encourage you to take part in NAIDOC events in your part of the world. It's a great way to uh, meet Indigenous people and uh, look at the issues that they uh, want to raise. Now, you must be stupid for listening to me and I must be even more stupid for talking to you. Now, I have to laugh. There's a lot of so-called talented people which have been paid a lot of money to make decisions which have profound impact on all of us. And there's nothing more profound than the Reserve Bank. Now, you don't actually need a qualification to be a member of the Reserve Bank. It's basically a government appointment. It's a, it's a position which governments have, the, the government of the day has the privilege of appointing people of the Reserve Bank. Now, I'm told, not that I'd know anything about economics. Who am I to know anything about economics? Capitalism is about supply and demand, supply and demand, supply and demand, you know? Supply and demand, all right? Now, we are told, because of the war in the Ukraine, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we're told, not that I believe it, that we have a supply problem, okay? If you've got a supply problem and you can't get stuff into the country... Prices go up. That's inflation. Now, there are two types of inflation. There's inflation which is based on demand, that people want things and they're willing to pay lots of money for those things. And you've got this topsy-turvy world where things which may have been five bucks yesterday are six bucks tomorrow. This is inflation. This is a demand for supply. Okay, so what happens when you increase interest rates rapidly and you want to dampen down demand? You want people to say, 
Oh, don't spend your money, boys and girls. Don't spend your money, all right? And that's what, you know, increasing interest rates is about, is about forcing people to decrease discretionary spending. That discretionary spending is the spending you do after you pay your, you know, your, your basics, you know, food, shelter, blah, blah, blah. But there's no supply. There's disruption in the supply lines. So what's happening with this rapid increase in interest rate is we're rapidly moving towards a recession. Because if you increased interest rates to dampen demand and you have shortage of supplies, well, then all you're doing is punishing the population. That's all you're doing. You may decrease inflation, but you're doing that by punishing people financially. So this is not a normal situation where where people the demand outstrips supply because of demand. This is a, a situation where supply is not there. It is not available. For example, I need a fridge. And I went to one of these places and they said, oh, we've got the expensive fridges here, but if you want one of the cheap ones, you've got to wait two or three or four months. Now, I've never waited two or three or four months for a cheap fridge. They said, it's not coming in. You go in and you want to buy a car. Well, you can leave a deposit, but it may, may take a year or two before it gets here. So think about it. Here we have a reserve bank, which is theoretically independent of the government of the day, whose members are appointed by the government of the day, making decisions to increase interest rates, to decrease inflation, when that is inflation is not related to demand, but related to a lack of supply, which is due to COVID-19 restrictions, which is some degrees due to the war in uh, the Ukraine. Ah, well, and I don't even have an economic degree, do I? And I assume most of you don't. Now, COVID-19, well, COVID-19 is back in the news. It's never went away. It... uh, like any human thing, it wants to survive, it uh, replicates, it changes, and because it, uh, you know, uh, what's the word, breeds so rapidly, it changes very rapidly. Now, obviously, currently, we're averaging about a 1,000 deaths in this country every three to four weeks. Deaths due to COVID-19 have now become the second second cause of death in this country after cardiovascular disease, heart attacks, strokes, etc., etc. So it is having a major impact. Now, before vaccinations, we saw a concerted effort through mandates to protect the population as a whole, which was relatively successful. Because before vaccination, only about two to three, I think two and a half thousand people died. Since January this year, of the 10,000 people who have already died from COVID-19, about 8,000 have died this year. Now, obviously, 
decisions have been made that we need to we can't stay closed forever. Decisions are made. This vaccination is available. New antivirals are now available for a sick, very small section of the population who've got significant immunocompromised issues or over 65 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. So that treatment is coming on board. There is vaccination. But the dilemma is it has now become a personal problem. It's like the flood victims and the storm victims in the, in the Dandenong Ranges a year ago and the fire victims and the flood victims in Queensland and New South Wales and the list goes on and on. It becomes an individual problem. Because the thing about COVID-19 is it's not just the fact that it kills people, it's the fact that you've got a concept called long COVID where people may sustain fatigue and other issues for uh, months, if not years. And about five to f- anywhere between 5 to 15% of people who get COVID-19 get long COVID. So you do have options. You do have options as an individual. You can just go about your lives and just ignore it. Don't get vaccinated. Don't wear a mask. Fine. Becomes your problem. And that's what happens. When a disease becomes endemic in a population, it's the individual that carries the can. Our support mechanisms are withdrawn from the community. So, think about it. If you're not vaccinated, think about it. If you don't wear a mask in crowded areas... Think about it, because ultimately, already 8 million people in this country have had COVID-19, ultimately everybody, and especially those who don't take precautions or are unvaccinated, will catch COVID-19. So look after yourselves, look at the options, make decisions, don't worry about government mandates, you know, forcing you to do this and forcing you to do that. Look at the options. If it's cold, you put on a coat. If it's warm, you take off your coat. So why not take precautions in terms of a virus which continues to have profound implications for all of us? Not just the economy, not just the nation as a whole, but every single human being on this continent and around the globe. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, brought across, broadcast, not brought. Maybe if it was brought, we could make a buck. Broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. It is heard via the Community Radio Network, radio stations across the country, in every state and territory. My name is Joseph Toscano. Interested in learning more? You can go to my YouTube, Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. You can join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Go to the website, pipsy, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can join on the net. It's so simple. Simple. Great website run by Anthony. Pipsy dot net, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You can go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano, or Toscano for the Public. You can go to the um, Defend and Extend Public Housing Facebook page. Public Housing Everybody's Business Facebook page. Anarchistmedia.org you know, our Facebook page, and the list goes, I mean, um, web page, anarchistmedia.org, and the list goes on and on and on. It's not about not having information. It's about making decisions about whether you just want to be a spectator 
in the game of life, in the game of politics, or whether you want to do something about it. Now, those of you listening to this program in Victoria will know there's a Victorian state election coming up at the end of November. I think it's the uh, second last Saturday in November. And it's interesting that obviously there are state elections everywhere. And you see, they don't care if you get if you protest. I mean, we've been protesting outside Parliament House in Victoria now for almost f- over four years regarding public housing and uh, the privatisation of public housing continues ad nauseum. They don't really care if you're involved in a protest. They love it if you get violent because that gives them the... Uh, the opportunity to increase draconian legislation, which then they use to uh, break up, marginalise and criminalise um, simple, you know, p- relatively peaceful protests, as we've just seen in New South Wales with Blockade Australia. They use the whole might of the legal system and, and the uh, police in order to contain protest. We're seeing it in New South Wales and we'll continue to see it around Australia as protest grows. So, what am I going to do? What are you going to do for the, for the Victorian state election if you live in Victoria? Are you going to be a spectator? Are you going to say, I'm not going to vote? It's all very boring, you know. And then you're going to sit on your hands and, you know, pontificate for the next four years? Well, I'm not that type of person. I know anybody listening to the anarchist world this week isn't that type of person. As I said at the beginning of the program before we broadcast across Australia, I mean, we've raised $15,437 for community radio station 3CR through the Anarchist World this week because there are people who find the program useful, who want independent radio commentary to continue, but more importantly, they want to get involved in things. Now, this is, a, this is an idea. It's only an idea, and it'll only come to fruition with support. Now, I am interested in standing as an independent, a radical independent, not just an independent, a radical independent candidate in the state electorate of Mulgrave. Why Mulgrave? Because Mulgrave is the seat of the Premier, Mr Daniel Andrews. So this is, this is something I'm interested in doing, and I'll, tell, I'll explain... How? Now, just bear with me. Now, this campaign will be based on the satisfaction of basic human needs, F, food, H, health, H, housing, E, education, R, recreation, instead of the current construction blitz. And what we have in Victoria today, for the last eight years, we've had an orgy of privatisation. We've just seen the privatisation of the Road Traffic Authority. We saw the privatisation of the Titles Office. We saw, we're seeing the privatisation of the public housing sector. We've seen the privatisation of the Melbourne ports. And the list goes on and on. And all this money has been used for this construction blitz. These resources are not being used to satisfy basic human needs in Victoria. So it's about time that Mr Andrews was taken to account for this policy. 
Now, I'm standing, or I'd like to stand, I'm not standing yet, I'd like to stand in the electorate of Mulgrave against the current Victorian Premier, Mr Daniel Andrews, because the Victorian Parliamentary Labor Party, under his leadership, has lost its way. It's lost its way. It's all about cranes in the sky. Remember when Kane Jr. was talking about cranes in the sky before it all came crashing down? This government, that's the Victorian state government, has failed to pass legislation to ensure the basic human needs of all Victorians are met. Simple. Look, Mr Andrews is a professional politician. From the day he left university, he has pursued a political career. He left university. He worked in some minister's office. He was pre-selected for the safe labour seat of Mulgrave in 2002 and for the last 20 years, that's been his job. That's his career, professional politician. And unfortunately in 2022, at the state and federal level, what we have is a parliamentary system which is dominated by professional politicians. I mean, I was born in 1951. That makes me a septuagenarian. I have a 47-year career as a medical practitioner, almost 50 years. I obtained a Bachelor of Medicine and Surgery from Queensland University in 1975 and a Doctorate of Medicine from Melbourne University in 1986. And although I'm 70, because of the COVID-19 crisis... I continue to work part-time as a medical practitioner. I am familiar with the pressures encountered by small businesses because I've been running a private home visiting medical practice for patients with major physical disabilities, secondary to trauma, for over 40 years. Again, what I'm trying to do is explain I do have qualifications and experiences outside being a professional politician. Now, during the last 50 years, I have been involved in many activities, both as a radical and reformer, to improve people's lives. As I said, anarchism is about improving people's life. It's about devolving power and sharing wealth. During the last 45 years, I have broadcast a series of radio programs on Community Radio 3CR. Currently, I broadcast The Anarchist World This Week, which you're listening to, which is broadcast around Australia via the Community Radio Network. Talk Back With Attitude on Thursday morning and Radical Australia this afternoon at 4pm. Now, this is where I put tickets on myself. I believe I have the passion, experience and strength of character to represent Represent the people of Mulgrave in the Victorian Parliament. You like that? I would make it. I would like to make it abundantly clear. As a medical practitioner, I have supported the vaccine mandates and have had four COVID nineteen injections. I have no interest whatsoever in conspiracy theory, smear campaigns, rumours and innuendos. This electoral contest should be solely about policies. 
do you support Mr Andrews' privatisation agenda, his public-private partnerships and the current construction blitz? If you do, I suggest you vote for Mr Andrews. If you don't, I strongly recommend that you look at my policy agenda and how these policies will be funded. These are policies about satisfying basic human needs. Food. Twenty $10 vouchers be made available every month to every Victorian who receives a Social Security benefit to be used to help pay for sit-down or take-away meals from local Victorian shops. Local Victorian shops would register with the state government to be part of this scheme. The scheme would not be open to major corporations and franchises. This initiative would ensure that every Victorian had access to good food and would help micro and small businesses to compete against the major corporations and franchises that currently dominate the food industry. Win-win situation. Food security for people on social security benefit, access to cooked food at a discount rate. Business for small business, not the franchises which currently dominate the food market. Health. Anybody involved in the public health system know there are significant decisions, significant deficiencies that are part and parcel of the public health system, from the ambulance service to waiting lists, and these needs to be addressed with extra staff and funds. It's all very well to spend $90 billion building an underground rail loop while ignoring the plight of public hospitals and, pub and, and patients during a COVID-19 pandemic. Think about it. Wouldn't you think that having a half-decent public health system would be important in the current construction blitz? Housing. The privatisation of the public housing sector has had profound implications for all sectors of the housing market, from rentals, that's right, rentals, to escalating housing prices. Increasing public housing stocks is a win-win situation for everybody. Housing security helps decrease crime and improves educational outcomes for children. Increasing public housing stocks through an urban, regional and rural spot purchasing program by the state government decreases rents in the private marketplace and helps to decrease housing prices the lower end of the market. So let's forget about this privatisation of public housing agenda. Forget about social housing, affordable housing, community housing, all privately owned housing, and let's get back to a decent public housing sector. Education. I mean, I, as I said before, I get tears in my eyes when I see private charities asking Australians to cough up money to send kids to public schools. Education. No child attending a public school should be, denied, should be denied access to facilities, books and outings because their parents or guardians can't afford the cost. I mean, kids from low-income families have been doubly punished. Recreation. 
And again, this is something I'm really interested in. Not that I do much recreating myself. Many Victorians never enjoy a holiday because they can't afford one. This has profound implications for children. Once every four years, every adult who earns less than $1,000 a week and any dependent children they have should receive a holiday voucher for $2,000 and $500 for each dependent child to be spent on a holiday in Victoria. This not only provides much-needed break for families and adults who cannot afford holidays, it will also bolster the Victorian accommodation and tourist industry. Once again, these are policies about satisfying basic human needs around food, health, housing, education, recreation and assisting small business and micro-business. Because today, it's all about franchises, corporations, dominating every aspect of our existence. I'll give you an example. Yesterday, I was looking for a bit of petrol, right? Every Coles franchise across Melbourne was selling petrol for $2.39, cents. $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, $2, okay? Uh, trying to artificially elevate the petrol costs because of their domination of the petrol industry. While other, many other smaller franchises or smaller communities were selling it for about $2 or $1.99, okay? I mean, this is what happens when we allow franchises and corporations to dominate the economy. Now, before you dismiss these policies as impractical, have a look at the... the innovative ways these policies can be financed. Now, these are taxes which can be introduced in Victoria through a parliamentary majority. doesn't need blood in the streets. doesn't need a revolution. Introduction of a super land tax of 1% for individual businesses and corporations that own more than $5 million of real estate in Victoria. That means that 99.9% of people who... Houses will not be affected. If you own more than $5 million of property, you're a corporation, a business, an individual, or you pay an extra 1% land tax. We already have a land tax. Introduction of a 1% tax on individuals, businesses and corporations that pay more than $5 million per year in rent in Victoria. Now, many corporations don't actually own the facilities they work from. They rent them. And they will ne you never pay, and they rent so they don't pay land tax. So a 1% tax on rents, if you pay more than $5 million per year, which is basically limited to you know, large corporations and franchises, again is one way of raising capital for this country, for the Victoria's public education system and public housing system and public health. Now, there are some companies that are actually virtual, that don't pay land tax or rent. Introduction of a 1% tax on individual business and corporations that pay more than $5 million per year. So, introduction of 1% financial transaction tax for individuals, businesses and corporations in the gig economy who are turning over more than $5 million per year. Currently... Major gig economy players, and they are a significant section of the society, don't pay land tax, payroll tax and pay minimal rents because they rely on virtual platforms 
and contract workers to make a profit. And then quarantine, 50% of Victorian stamp duty revenue and tax on people buying a home to spot purchase and build public housing with the aim of housing one million Victorians in public housing within a decade. Think about it. What seemed impossible yesterday is a reality today. As I said before, a government that cannot meet the basic needs of its citizens is not fit to govern. Now, we're going to float these ideas for about six to seven weeks. I will be holding a series of meetings. What do we need? Well, we need 30 to 40 people to be involved in the campaign. We need at least $10,000 in donations for basically printing costs. We need an office. And we need a bit of courage. It's not about being elected, but it's about raising alternatives. People say, but the opposition is worse. Well, I agree, they're worse than the Labor Party, but this is not a Labor Party. The Andrews-led Labor Party ceased to be a Labor Party years ago. I'm not going to wait till the day I die, waiting for the Labor Party to change its colours. It's basically become a pro-privatisation party, pro-deregulation party, pro-corporatisation party, pro-globalisation party, and at the federal level, it's now locked us into this so-called fake democracy, autocracy battle. So if you're interested, let me know. I'll make a decision at the end of August whether to go ahead with the campaign or not, depending on the amount of interest. This is not like a Senate campaign. This is different. This is a localised campaign around about 40,000 people. It's easy to carry out. It can have profound implications. It can change the policy dynamic in Victoria. And you can do the same thing in Queensland, in New South Wales, in Tasmania, West Australia, South Australia, the Australian Capital Territories and the Northern Territory. It takes a bit of courage, a bit of foresight, but ultimately... The type of society we live in depends on us because we are the people we've been waiting for. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. I've been hosting this program. Hopefully we'll be on air next week and the week after and the week after. I mean, this is an interesting campaign that we could get all get involved in. As I said before, We'll start having meetings, we'll make a decision by the end of August, and the decision will be made on the amount of public support that the campaign is able to generate before September. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. You can always write to us, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. I love letters. See you. Well, I won't see you. I'll talk to you next week via the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.